Today we are talking with Mary Underwood, Head of Student Voice and Diversity at the Student Room. Welcome everyone to our 40th in our series of podcasts brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental wellbeing service, providing round-the-clock mental wellbeing support for those living or working in London. This is Sonia Etetwani and in this podcast we catch up with Mary who has been listening to the experiences of students over the pandemic. The impact of Covid on students has been reported in many a research project but when we listen to their actual lived experiences we discover some unexpected issues that we need to respond to to help them secure a better future. Over to you Richard and Mary. Thank you Sonia and thank you Mary for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I guess the last time we spoke, Mary, was over a year ago, I think it was on the 29th of April, where we were thinking together about the student room and the support that you've been offering young people around the time of that very first lockdown, where suddenly the world was shaken for them. I guess a lot has happened since, and it's been really great for us at Good Thinking to keep talking and thinking with you and your colleagues at the student room about how to support young people. But we are a year on. Some things have changed, some things are different, but kind of consistent. I just wondered what you thought were some of the themes that you've been hearing about from young people on the student room since that last podcast. Wow, yeah, a year ago, a lot has happened since then. It's one of those things I always feel like I'm stuck in a bit of a vortex, like time doesn't seem to operate in the same way during a pandemic, but... A lot has happened, and um, then again, a lot hasn't hasn't changed. I suppose in the in the last year, but obviously, I think since we last spoke, we're we're talking now about you know a year into the future in terms of cohorts and where they're at in terms of their educational journey. We're looking at every kind of student, from the much younger ones through to undergrads and postgrads, and those who've since moved into their careers, who've all kind of moved on a year in their journey and who've been dealing with the pandemic just like all of us for for you know over eighteen months now, and um, and I think that that has we've definitely seen I would say some fatigue in relation to um, everything that has happened with the pandemic since we last spoke you know there's been numerous lockdowns there's um, school students and year students who are you know in on campus not on campus learning from home again and even now during this morning I think it's about a million students are um, currently isolating and it's you know the last a couple of days of the academic year for students so yeah a lot has happened um, a lot has changed the way that kind of grading is happening this year for those GCSE and A-level students um, is slightly different to last year and we hope slightly um, more well planned I suppose compared to last year so there might be fewer last minute changes for these students but still it's a really challenging and traumatic time students are, are dealing with a lot still and I think that's something that's really important to remember that this is even as we do sort of ease out of, of restrictions for students there's going be some ongoing impacts for quite a long time I would say. I think you've touched on already not only the impact on mental health which I guess we've been very alert to over over the last 18 months as as you have at the student room but one of the things that seems to have been really kind of tragic for young people that you raise I think just kind of in passing that a million students are in isolation at the end of the school year and that is the the sort of sense that they've been cheated of those experiences, proms, other sort of experiences. I guess we we may be seeing it in terms of the beginning of the school year or, or university year with Freshers' Weeks. But they've lost some of those experiences that I guess we tend to think of as rites of passage, helping us have a sense of moving forward. And, and instead of having that, you, you go back in isolation. And Are you hearing about that on the student room at the moment? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And um, I was speaking with a colleague the other day whose um, young son was missing out on his kind of leave as events from primary school. And I think that was, you know, a real challenge. And, and then you realise that that's happening all over the nation for lots and lots of students um, of all sorts of age groups. So I think it's, yeah, a really interesting point. And we see, I would say probably anecdotally, more than me seeing people who are kind of lamenting what they have missed out on, it's there's still a lot of worry about what they will go on to miss out on. A really good example is students who are hoping to move on to university in September, coming from their post-16 qualifications, who are asking what's going to be happening with freshers, for example, and what's going to be happening, um, you know, in terms of if there are future lockdowns and things like that. So there's still just so much uncertainty for students. And, and whilst there's sort of one approach at the moment, Last summer, for example, when, when lockdown was, was less strict and we were all sort of out and about, it was a really wonderful time. And I think that was kind of filled with hope and excitement. And then where the lockdowns came back in for that third lockdown um, around Christmas time, I know that there was a lot of um, kind of disillusionment and fatigue and worry about sort of how this would go on to keep impacting them. And interestingly, I was um, in a webinar with the Zoe COVID Symptoms Study a little while ago now, and they were speaking about the impact of lockdown of COVID sort of generally in relation to mental health. And they, they called out young people specifically. So between the ages of, I think, 16 to 24, and they were talking about how there is this real fatigue in relation to lockdown, and it has impacted young young people's mental health more so than, than any other age group. And they were also saying this thing that just sticks with me, which is that um, uncertainty is the pollen for anxiety. And I've been talking about this a lot recently when I'm speaking with various groups of people because I think that it kind of epitomises a lot of what students have had to deal with in the past 18 months in a time in your life where you deeply want certainty naturally while you're making these really big life decisions. They just didn't have that and they still don't have that. And I think, you know, we can we can see how that can be impacting students and the worry about how it might keep impacting students is definitely there. It's a really important point, isn't it, that at that time of life where so much is changing within you and around you and you're perhaps looking to move forward with your education, even leave home, perhaps at the other end of university life, moving into the world of work, that you crave a certain stability because so much else is changing. And that is something that this generation of young people has not been afforded the luxury of so again as we often talk Mary, I, I feel a sort of enormous degree of sympathy and compassion for those that have not been afforded that ordinary sense of the world around them being settled and stable yeah we um we ran around april time we ran a similar poll to what we ran last year which was asking students what factors were affecting their mental health most right now so the first time we ran it was around the time we spoke last time actually um during the first lockdown and we ran it again during the third lockdown lockdown earlier this year and interestingly we saw pretty similar results so we got just around 5,000 votes in the poll and we saw that the biggest worry was uncertainty around my education Um, the second biggest worry was around a lack of purpose or motivation and that that sense of not having motivation and struggling with that is something that we've seen come through in various pieces of research throughout the pandemic it's a real concern for students also worry about future career prospects was another big one and that is something that we see reverberating out from younger students to older students 
from GCSE into undergrad, postgrad, that is a worry. Employability is really um, high on students' agenda at the moment. But the interesting one was that we added two options this year, which we didn't have last year. We had lots of options on the poll, so they were still within the top five, these two options. And one of those was feeling anxious about making big future life decisions. That was really impacting students' mental health. Um, And we also had one which was um, opportunities that they had missed during the pandemic. So, for example, students have been missing out on work experience and really kind of key development opportunities for them in terms of their growth. And so that's a big worry for them, too. So they are definitely thinking about sort of what that future impact is for them. There's dealing with the moment, I suppose, and then there's dealing with everything that that could mean um, in the future. That is really interesting because it it, it reminds me that before you ever do make a big life decision when you're younger, you are usually given those opportunities and and as you described with work experience, to kind of experiment and test out and talk and explore all sorts of different possibilities. And one of the side effects of the pandemic, I guess, is that possibility for kind of ordinary experimentation to discover and find out about yourself and about the world and what interests you that could help you make decisions. Has, has been sort of um, again sort of pulled from beneath them so that, that that does make huge sense really I think there is a bit of um, kind of decision making like almost paralysis I would say for students where at a time where you want certainty the most students haven't been able to have that but on top of that I'm noticing a lot of conversations which when you dig down into what they're really talking about there's a lot of imposter syndrome which is going on as well at the moment and you know, I know that as adults, that's something that we tend to acknowledge, but I don't ever remember as a student being taught, taught about what imposter syndrome is and, and what it can do and how it can get in our way. And for students who are coming through an education system where they haven't sat exams, like they haven't sat their, their A-level exams or the GCSE exams, you know, where their university course may have been drastically altered in the past 18 months. And as a society, we teach young people that things like their results from school and from college and at university are one of the main things that should be used to define who they are, what their self-worth is, all of, you know, we tie so much really important kind of um, self-image to your academic results. And as adults, it's easy for us to say, yeah, but that we know that doesn't really define you. But as a young person, that's actually what we teach students. I say we on in a very general sense. And I think you can see the impact of that coming through. Like we've got students who are in their first year of university who are saying, oh, I'm part of the, the cohort who received fake grades. And these are students who have, have just finished their first year. So, you know, they, they got into university and they, and, you know, they've been achieving and working really hard during a really difficult time, but they still don't attribute ownership or belief in the grades that they got Um, we've got another cohort who's coming through at the moment who are going to have teacher assessed grades um, and most of those students are really worried that getting teacher assessed grades is going to negatively impact them in the future that they're going to be seen as lesser because they never sat exams that it's going to impact their ability to get into things like university or college so there's a lot of worry that is attached to that results period and those academic results especially And I'm guessing those experiences are going to particularly be impacting on some of your younger members of the student room where 
particularly GCSE, is just becomes one of the, the great focuses of your life. And I guess what's also interesting for me, again, it goes back to that sense of having experiences that actually help you understand yourself. You know, GCSEs are one of those great public tests, aren't they, that we all go through, certainly in the UK. And yet, if you're being assessed in a different way, I mean, weirdly, you will have still have earned those grades. Uh, Very few teachers are going to be giving high grades to those that have not done the work. But there is something about that process of the exams, the anxieties that build up uh, right the way through to results day that, that, again those that are in uh, years 10 and 11 just will not have had those experiences and then somehow you feel fake yeah i think there's a there's a lot that is like the resilience that students feel and probably do need to have in relation to dealing with that really high pressure exam environment there is worry for students who are moving up through whatever phase of their of their educational journey that they won't be prepared to deal with the next stage of academic rigor for example not necessarily in terms of their knowledge but in terms of you know their resilience to those high stress situations Um, and I think what's sort of ironic about that I suppose is that if anything the last 18 months have put students and everyone in a position where I'm sure they've all and we all have had to call on resilience in a whole new way in the past 18 months Um, so in so many ways those students have built up so many skills I suppose when it comes to um, emotional development but there is worry that when you when they apply that to an educational setting that they will find it really challenging and I also just in relation to you were speaking about the GCSE students something that's really interesting around that GCSE stress point is that so obviously English and maths is a requirement you have to get a certain result in English and maths at GCSE and for students who that's not certain or they might struggle with that point that like there's a real potential that there could be students who may be struggling for whatever reason they may be from um, you know a disadvantaged background they may have suffered really significantly with mental ill health throughout the pandemic they may be supporting family members and therefore their focus hasn't been able to be on their education as much as others perhaps Um, And I was reading a statistic the other day, um, which was saying, and I can't quote it exactly, but was talking about the number of teachers who were saying that they had a full portfolio of evidence for their students. And it was only something about 25% of teachers, I think at GCSE level, were saying they had a full portfolio of evidence for every student. It doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't have any evidence for for a lot of students, but the article I was reading was pointing out the fact that for students who have struggled during the pandemic, potentially meaning that they have missed school, they may be the students where there isn't a full portfolio of evidence. So have they really been given the opportunity to show everything that they could have done had they not been in sort of these um, additionally difficult situations that resulted in them missing out on some opportunities to show their learning? So I think there's just a lot at play there. And I think that students, each cohort will be having a really different experience throughout the pandemic. But yeah, also just need to remember that each student, depending on their personal experience of the pandemic, may be facing really sort of specific um, challenges that will probably be ongoing I would suggest like a lot of those impacts will probably continue for those students. Yes and, and, and how we need to make allowances for the inequalities that again are beyond 
pretty much anyone's control because it was also making me think the schools that might be serving some of the communities with the greater disadvantage issues like digital poverty and inclusion were so problematic i, I think the report from ofcom suggested four percent of students during the, the pandemic were accessing education via a, a smartphone uh, yeah, that's all that, that they had and, and even then because of space it may have been in a bathroom so that is one area of inequality which education and schools can normally help with by having that offline concrete physical sort of support of going into a school understanding some of the context of that to support that group going forward I think is going to be hugely important conversely those who are in more advantageous situations would have had the tech and the education support all in place probably before the pandemic even happened you you touched on this earlier but I think it's a really interesting point again because it again is so tied with the sense of personal development in terms of identity about what it actually means to leave school now for some I guess they would have left school possibly in isolation and were cheated of that goodbye that we've seen again across the pandemic, especially early on where people couldn't even access or or, or go to a funeral to say goodbye. But also, what is university now? I guess it's a very different idea of university, let alone Freshers' Week, that young people are having to somehow engage with and think about. What sort of things do do you hear about, about university life during the pandemic? I think um, when it comes to university life, students will have had potentially very different experiences and that could be dependent on a lot of things. University to university, the approach may have been different throughout the pandemic. Also, depending on what sort of course you're studying, you may have been able to um, go back earlier, like for practical subjects um, that, you know, people needed to be on campus. Um, There was a time where students on certain courses were allowed to return to campus to enable them to continue. It could also have depended on your your own very personal circumstances. You know, for example, if there were students who had family um, in a country in Europe and had been visiting that part of their family and had ended up spending the majority of the pandemic over there, you know, trying to continue their education Um, at university here, online. I think it also really depends on um, personal circumstances, as we were talking about before, depending on your own, especially for university students, requirements as to earning money, having part-time jobs. You know, were you able to keep your job during the pandemic? Were you an essential worker who was having to go to work while everyone else was isolating? You know, there's so many students with disabilities, for example, may have been more able to access online learning or less able to access online learning, depending on their own personal circumstances. So really, really different experiences, I would say. Whenever I think about university, especially undergrad, I'm thinking about research, which is telling us, as I was saying earlier, that employers is really, really high on students' um, list of concerns at the moment. And that's especially true for final year university students, obviously, who are about to head out into a into a job market that may be quite uncertain, depending on the industry that they're hoping to move into. Also, in terms of the students who will be second year in the autumn, so who will have just finished their first year, I think it's interesting to note the particular challenges that those students may have. They were the students who went through really quite a traumatic time with receiving their grades last year. Um, That was the time where there were really quite last-minute decisions which were being made, which affected the way that they would receive those grades. So they've they've kind of gone through that period of time, and then they've spent the majority of their their first year at university in 
in whatever way, a drastically altered environment for the majority of them. And I think that puts them in an interesting position coming into second year, both in terms of potentially academically, that where there may be like just real discrepancies, but also socially, I think is is a really key thing. And that's something that we're seeing coming through from students a lot is um, speaking about how much they felt like they've been able to connect with other students. And it's something that they're asking for support with the most at the moment. This is in relation to current university students and those who are coming in in the autumn in first year, speaking about when we did some research in the Navigating Changing Options report um, that was, the field work was done in February, March time this year. It was something like less than half of students felt like they had a support network that they could reach out to at university. I think it was only 34% of them felt like they could cope with everything that was going on. The majority of them really felt like the, their university was doing the best it could in a really diff- difficult situation. But that connection with other students has been quite difficult for a lot of students to forge. And it's something that we see even in a non-pandemic year coming up on the forums is students talking about this real worry and difficulty around making friends for some of them. Some students in a non-pandemic year like ducks to water in a university and, you know, have a, have a wonderful time socially making friends, but it's not always the case for everyone. And I think for students who have potentially spent the majority of the past year in their first year of university, potentially isolated on campus or isolated in their family home, and they may kind of know some people on their course, but then you've got what I think can be quite difficult social situation to navigate where you've kind of met someone online but you may not really know them or be friends with them. And then you have to almost re-meet them in real life and kind of reforge those potential connections and find out what university is really like. So I think that there's a, there's a really specific experience um, that those second years may have as they return to campus more fully in, in the next year as second years. For first years, there's just still a lot of uncertainty in terms of what their university year is going to look like. I know some universities have started to come out and say what their plan is going to be for the next year. I think it was University of Manchester the other day was talking about having all their lectures online. What that means in terms of other kinds of sort of learning environments, I'm not sure. It may be that there's kind of smaller group situations that do happen in real life. It will be really interesting to see what what approach different universities go with. But to be honest, the thing that students are asking for the most is just some clarity and some transparency, really. It's really difficult for them to envisage what their year may be like when they're just not sure how everything is going to look. I'm hopeful that potentially after results day that that clarity may be there for students, sort of when they know where they're heading um, and they can start engaging with their university, asking questions and learning. So, And in all the conversations that I have um, and people I speak to, I sort of try and encourage that that sense of clarity for students because they do know that there may be some differences in their year this year but a lot of students are really hopeful about going back to to sort of that real social environment and being able to have that full experience because I think um, again in this COVID symptom study they were talking about the fact that for young people it's really interesting because developmentally at a time when naturally they're seeking more independence their reliance on their peer group is even more than ever before and like that's a natural part of growing up but because of the pandemic that may not have been possible for a lot of 
young people. Um, and we've spoken in the past about, you know, students being at home with family in, in sort of really increased amounts of time. And, you know, it's just interesting to consider how that might go on to impact them. And, and they're just keen to kind of get back together, I think, combined with a hope that they don't lose all the benefits that have come from lockdown learning, I have to say. So current university students, I think it's 90% of them would actually like to retain part of some of the improvements because of lockdown. For some of them, that's financial in relation to having been able to save more money during the lockdown, but I imagine that's quite circumstantial. A lot of them wanted to retain some element of um, flexible learning opportunities, so the ability to be flexible and study at a time that's convenient to them, the ability to be flexible and study at home if they want to. Those sorts of things have been quite helpful for some students. So um, it'll be interesting to see what decisions universities make in relation that's, to all that. That's really interesting because I, I guess for everyone, COVID is bringing about a, a, a massive recalibration when we are sort of thinking about what we want to keep from, from the COVID and lockdown experiences, what we're missing. But I, I was struck by your comments about the the importance of those social connections that are part of the education experience and that is something that just online lectures is is going to sort of again make much more complex and difficult because we do tend to move forward in groups as as we progress through our, our teenage years into our early 20s so that sounds to me like something that is going to require thought because it for all sorts of reasons it may be a, a sensible idea but it does sort of reduce that opportunity to meet those social needs which are again going to be hugely important going forward you know learning how to sort of make connections with people work together starts in the classroom then at the university and then finally in the workplace so I I hope the thinking in the university sector uh, doesn't forget that those are skills we also need (laughs) sorry Murray gave a mini lecture there (laughs) yes No, but I I, I was kind of thinking a lot about it's quite common now when we're revisiting some of the earlier podcasts where, in a sense, it was it was a bit simpler in that first lockdown. There were, you know, acute changes. There was a lot of reeling and and rolling with with a different sort of changes of guidance and uh, remote this and remote that. And, And now I think in a funny way we're much more in touch with the different losses and and the fact that no matter how hard any of us have tried you know there is a degree of helplessness and i think is is part of that fatigue you you just can't get through this just with good intentions and and hard work and so on because there is that novel coronavirus as we called it last year that is is kind of deciding a great deal that doesn't mean we can't you know we can still make things better or worse through our actions and then also that you, you were speaking of the resilience and, and I guess hope is such a, a, an important part of that, isn't it? And we again talked last year about hope being almost sort of closer to like um, physical fitness, like a muscle that if you keep trying to support hopeful um, thoughts and feelings, that that does have a benefit to your resilience and your mood and your mental health. So challenging times but not without hope and and a lot of young people have been working very hard and their their assessments their grades are going to reflect that and they shouldn't forget that a lot of the staff are are actually no fools when it comes to actually recognizing hard work and circumstance yeah i think something that is 
just really important to say is that the way that young people have approached what is an event that none of us have ever seen in our lives during what is already like being a young person is no walk in the park it's really challenging at the best of times um they're dealing with so much academically developmentally they're trying to make big decisions about their future which we've convinced them is going to impact the rest of their lives there's a lot going on for students and i think that they really deserve to be celebrated for the way that they have approached this really difficult time in whatever way has been available to them and i think that that i hope that you know we we might move towards a place where we do celebrate young people's achievements outside of academia for example in terms of all of the other parts of life um that are that are really really important and uh, yeah i just think young people are amazing basically especially during this pandemic and you know their teachers and their schools i know have just been working so hard to support those students and i know that universities as well really want to bring in those students and help them build that confidence and help them feel like they can connect there's there's what i will say is that um in relation to that hope piece you were talking about i would say that there has been more conversation um in a general sense and more awareness around mental health in the past 18 months than i think there may have been before it's always been there but i think um in terms of quite almost casually recognizing the impacts on mental health and talking about all of these sorts of things i think that that has been happening more and i think that if this pandemic has contributed to there being more conversation you know kind of society wide more awareness with young people around mental health then that is a really positive thing but i also hope that we don't forget how much more work there is to be done and i think there's sometimes a view um i was reading something the other day which was someone speaking about the fact that the suicide rate hasn't hadn't gone up um in the pandemic and that and and speaking about it i just think that it's a pretty problematic statement to make um in that sense in the in the sense that we know that suicides are, are, are very often reported inaccurately they're very often not reported as suicides at all and that any suicides is is a real problem um that we need to be addressing we did a poll on the student room recently really recently actually which was asking students whether there's enough early intervention mental health support in their local area so not specific to their school or university just in their local area and only less than 5% of students said that it was easy to get early support so that's you know 95% of students who don't think it's necessarily going to be easy or potentially haven't needed it but almost 40% of students were saying that they feel it has to be a crisis to be able to get help when it comes to mental health and then it's what's interesting is that you then read the comments in the thread which is students talking about how they are in crisis or they have been in crisis and they're still on wait lists that are really very long um and that that's a really really difficult thing so i think it's interesting to consider the work that still needs to be done and i think you know everyone i speak to who's involved in mental health you know yourself anyone who works in university student support services basically anyone that has anything to do with young people is super aware of how much support is still needed for young people and i hope that that is that is something that we can continue to draw attention to and this is kind of what i mean when i refer to the the potential future impacts for students is there's the immediate but there's also sort of potentially going to be some long term work that might need to be done to support students for 
for quite a while. So I hope that, yeah, that message is getting through that, that there's still a lot of support needed there. And I think your point that I think you made very well earlier is that the nature of that support is quite flexible and, and diverse. So whilst we in mental health need to be doing our bit, that the universities that can give greater certainty, um, show greater transparency about what may be happening in the, the forthcoming year, and then right through to the other end where we're actually thinking in terms of hope and what sort of opportunities there may be for graduates that, again, may have ended their sort of degrees in a, in a way that no one could have, have foretold. And I guess from what you are saying earlier, Mary, employability and thinking about that other end might also be supportive of someone having better mental health. Yeah, I think it's really interesting in terms of um, the breadth of conversations around employability that we're seeing at the moment, because, of course, a career journey doesn't start at university and you know a lot of students don't go to university so that conversation is relevant to them you know really quite early and in fact we start encouraging students to consider their future careers well I mean very early but also specifically when they're making GCSE choices and there are schools now who are starting to teach GCSE courses quite quite frequently in year nine so those conversations might be happening in year eight and a lot of that thinking is geared towards, well, what will you want to do, for example, in A-levels, or perhaps they'll go and do a big tech or, you know, whatever their path may be. But the thinking is encouraged from really quite early. So if you're a student and you're, and you're especially if you're a young student and you're hearing a lot of conversations around employability, um, you're seeing, you know, things in the news, you're hearing, maybe hearing your parents talk about things, it may be a concern for you quite early on. But I mean, yeah, we've spoken already about missed work experience opportunities which can go on to make for example um, writing a personal statement like to, to apply to university really difficult because you don't have any work experience um, to refer to perhaps if you're at university and you get to do some work experience or you're in industry for example as part of a qualification that could be for a lot of these students the first time they've ever stepped foot into a professional environment um, so there may be some awareness for employers there in terms of facilitating what might be slightly different to students who may have had work experience opportunities in the past. And then interestingly, kind of on the latter end of the spectrum, we have seen anecdotally a bit of a increase in terms of posting around our postgraduate forums. And it seems like there might be some additional interest there this year. And we did a poll around students who are now considering a postgrad where they may not have been before. Um, and a lot of the reasons for that were related to the pandemic, things like not wanting to go um, start their career in the middle of a pandemic, for example, um, wanting to make themselves more employable in what they perceive will be a more competitive job market, for example. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, sort of knock-on effects, I think, when it comes to employability. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, current students at university. So pre-COVID, just over a third said that they had been concerned about getting a job after graduation. In June of this year, more than three in five students were concerned, so up to 61%. Um, and at the moment, almost three quarters of final year students are concerned about getting a job after they graduate. So the vast majority of students, especially in final year, this is a real concern for them. And you can see why, you know, they've been they've been potentially working towards this since they were, you know, making those GCSE choices and maybe the goalposts have moved a little bit because of the pandemic. So, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a challenging time for students if they're in one of those industries potentially that isn't, their path maybe not as clear now as it was before. 
I think it's it's interesting because I think you're sort of suggesting there is value in recognizing that one day you you will be in the world of work and and having some sense of of where you might end up although if I I look to my own past I probably would either have become a, a train driver or astronaut, which, given uh, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos's activity, might not have turned out so well. But there's still that need for discovery, perhaps even experimentation, where you are allowed to test out what working in different sectors might feel like, what values that sector has, etc. All those things that are also incredibly important to young people. And so opportunities for the postgraduate group to have work experience opportunities actually could still be helpful and and that's what I mean about sort of thinking about different opportunities to support mental health more widely rather than the sort of psychologist in room with you type approach so I think that's that's really helpful and again as you've, you've said repeatedly Mary you know young people are sort of resilient using all sorts of creative thinking to think about how to respond to some of the challenges of the pandemic and can we meet them halfway I guess in terms of um, trying to recognise that and and then create opportunities for them to get additional skills, learn something that helps them decide whatever it is so that sounds really really hopeful. Mm, I was was reading an article yesterday which was speaking about why would we return to normal when we could make things better in relation to the education system and I think in terms of hope that was something that really um, sort of resonated with me I suppose we, we know that there is a lot of inequality when it comes to education educational attainment um, even access to mental health support all of those sorts of things so wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of all of this we what we end up with are systems which can better support young people and I mean young people from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences. And yeah, systems can be improved as opposed to returning to, to systems that we knew weren't perfect in the first place. Again, earlier in the pandemic, we were speaking with Professor Neil Greenberg, who kind of introduced us to the concept of post-traumatic growth, where even despite a trauma, you could end up in a better place from where you started. I think that should be the aspiration for us all. Mm, definitely, Ironic. that's an amazing concept. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is, because it is hopeful and it is about striving for a better world, better lives, etc. Ironically, um, I think we've now reached the point in the podcast, Mary, which you may find depressingly familiar, uh, <laughs> where sadly we're going to have to move on from talking about students and their engagement with you in the student room and, and really recognising still what an amazing community there is of people like me who will know all about all of those experiences you've described, as well as, I guess, supporting each other emotionally and giving practical advice. But in terms of this podcast, certainly, we're going to give you an experience of Groundhog Day, really, where <laughs> we, we still ask those we talk with to consider going back into lockdown, but we give you the not inconsiderable advantage of being able to choose three famous or prominent people to take with you. So, I mean, as you say, you could start off somewhere in April uh, 2020 taking three people with you, but from all the experiences that you've had, you might actually want to choose three different people this time round. So who do you want to take with you this time? 
In... Oh, I forgot. I forgot to think about this before the podcast. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, right, I can't remember who I said last time. I think I might have said Stephen Fry, and I would say him again because I just think he'd be really good company. He's a very informed person, and I think has really interesting perspectives on things. So yeah, Stephen Fry. Also, I think Rick Stein. Interestingly, I think this is a different one. I um, didn't anticipate how much I would, uh, a classic lockdown mentality, learn, love learning to cook different meals, different foods. I love food. So, and also he's been on some wicked adventures. So I would, I feel like we'd have some really good chats. Oh God, a third one. I'm actually not sure who else I would bring into lockdown. I'm having a mind blank. <laughs> well, um, I guess you've got one sort of deep thinker, but also wit. Somebody who will give you great food, but also be able to talk about adventures, as you say. So there's quite a lot of good opportunities there. (laughs) But what else would be missing from your life that you could find through another person? I think I need some sort of... Well, yes, I'm going to have some good chats and I'm going to make some great food. So I need a workout buddy. I'm thinking someone like Joe Wicks or like some amazing, yeah, workout person would be great. (laughs) That sounds very shrewd. I think last year with our social media marketing partners, Fresh Egg, we did some work on search intent, what people were typing into Google. And one of the phrases, and this is by no means personal Maori, was lockdown lard. So I think... (laughs) I, I think I think Joe Cheers, Wicks <laughs> or equivalent would be very sensible, although I, I fear his senselessly upbeat, motivating style for the next lockdown could be a little wearing. But uh, as we know, he's also kept a nation in a better state through mm. his, his endeavours during the pandemic in a way that would probably leave you feeling better, even if sometimes you just wanted to talk to Rick a bit more and listen to Stephen over a nice bit of food. <laughs> We allow you still to take some uh, media in with you, something you can put on a tablet or a phone, like a book, film, music, um, even recording of something. Um, anything that you think, again, going into yet another lockdown, you might think, yeah, that, that, is, it, is it time to, to discover Proust or Russian literature or <laughs> something just more, more cheerfully snappy and upbeat? Do you know my my original thought was I have um oh I've tried a number of times to read Anna Karenina and failed is lockdown the time and then I thought no it's really not <laughs> it's not the time for Anna Karenina um I'm finding these questions really difficult today oh do you know what okay so every day I listen to a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish and I love it and it's basically you know the TV show QI. It's um, four of the QILs who do all the research and things for QI. And they have this podcast where they share four facts a week during this podcast. And it's just really interesting and also hilarious. So I would be sad if I didn't get to have that with me in lockdown. Okay. So (laughs) something very fresh, something new, I guess, in terms of something you didn't know. And as we know from those five ways to well-being that we've heard a lot about over the (laughs) pandemic... Learning something new every day is, is a really good boost for your, for your mental health. So that sounds like a, a very smart choice. Um, finally, the luxury. And that's the one item I do remember from last year. <laughs> um, and it was a rather delightful crate of red wine from Australia, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, have you changed tastes? Do you want um, something different? 
it's still going to be red wine <laughs> on the proviso that I already have coffee because that's also very important. Uh, but I would really like to take in a New Zealand Pinot Noir, I think, this time. A bit lighter coming into summer, you know. <laughs> Are Australians allowed to drink New Zealand wine? Oh, yeah, I don't really subscribe to that whole Australian-New Zealand thing. They're lovely people and they make lovely wine. <laughs> well, we, we'll probably need to put a disclaimer on the podcast. Contains <laughs> references to New Zealand wine, so any Australian who, who does find such thoughts um, heretical, um, they, they, will, they will have been forewarned with a trigger alert. Um, so, well, with Stephen Fry, Rick Stein and Joe Wicks, good food, some great podcasts and a nice glass of red wine to perhaps enjoy in the evening. Um, that sounds like perhaps one of the nicest ways to get through a lockdown should we ever have to go through one again. Fingers crossed, hey? <laughs> Thank you as ever, Mary. We know that all of you at the Student Room are just doing such amazing work to support the mental health and, as I suggested earlier, also help young people with all sorts of practical advice and recognition of their lived experiences, you know, being heard at a time where the adult world hasn't always been able to listen as deeply as it should have. Thank you again for this podcast. We hope it helps young people who by no means have, are, are imposters. They've been learning and achieving all sorts of things through the pandemic. And let's hope we do get to a better place at the other side. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you.